Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Psalm 37. And this morning, we would like to talk a little bit about the rewards for a generous heart. You'll probably not hear me say this uh, in very many contexts, but I want to talk about the importance of being a liberal today. God is a liberal when it comes to giving out of his heart. God is generous. God loved the world so much that he gave the most important thing to the Godhead, the Son. The Father sent the Son out of his heart of love. The Son agreed. The Spirit empowered him. We said here this morning, new creations in Christ because of the generosity of God's heart. The Bible speaks about money and things that we get in exchange for our time, our talent, our effort. The Bible speaks about those kinds of exchange things a lot. There's a whole lot in the Bible about that, whether we call it money or whatever. Uh, depending on what century you're living at, it may be three chickens and a goat. But whatever it may be, uh, the, the reason that money or the exchange of something of value is so important and we've talked about this in the past, is that money is you. It's me. You say, well, how can that be? Well, when you give eight hours or, say, 40 hours a week of your time on a job, your education, your, your physical presence, you know, all of those things wrapped up into what you give on your job and what they give you in return is a certain amount of money. Well, what you're getting back is you. That's the time that you'll never get back. So you get it back in the, in the form of something of value. And this is the way God has set up the human race from the very beginning. So what we do with our money is very critical because it represents us. It, whatever we treasure, and money certainly is part of, in this world, treasure that's necessary. But Jesus said... That your heart and what you treasure are uniquely connected. And that I can know what I truly value, not based on what I say, but by looking at where I spend my money. Where I put my money. Which is why generosity has such a place in the scripture. Now listen to, to David as obviously now an old man. David became king when he was 30. And he reigned for right at 40 years. So at this time, David is somewhere between 65 and 70. And he says this, I was young and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. I want you to notice that David does not say, I have never seen the righteous be anything other than filthy rich. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is God has always been faithful to his people. In fact, he told Timothy, even when we are unfaithful, yet God remains what? 
faithful because he cannot deny who and what he is. He is the faithful God. And David had a history, a faith history in his life that at the end of his life enabled him to say, I've been young, now I'm old, and I'm telling you that I have never seen God be unfaithful. But then he goes on speaking about the righteous to whom God is faithful. They are always generous and lend freely. And then this last statement, as a result of all of this, their children will be blessed. You know, one of the reasons that we love Bible stories is because we weren't there when they happened And now they're all over. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's an exciting story. We weren't there. We were not Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Mark. (laughs) Right? I was. I, I. I didn't get thrown into that dungeon. And when we uh, that fire, when we read these things, it's important to understand our story's not finished. It's still being written. So what we can do is we can look as our faith history, we can look at these people and see the testimony of their life. And David's testimony is, I've lived a long life, I've seen a lot, but this one thing I know, God is faithful to his people and they, seeing the faithfulness of God, they become generous and they give and they lend freely. And as a result of all of that, their children are affected by their generosity. You know, uh, when you look at the chronology timeline, David was somewhere uh, between 13 and 15 when Samuel first came, picked him as the youngest son, and anointed him to be king. But David did not become king until he was 30 years old. There was at least 15 years from the time Samuel said, you are king. Till the time God said, now it's time for my promise to literally be fulfilled. But it was through no act of his own. David had plenty of opportunities to kill Saul and become king. But he refused to do it. He refused to do it because he knew God was faithful. And in God's faithfulness, God controls the time clock when things have to happen in our lives. So his trust was that God was faithful. After he was anointed by by Samuel sometime later, he ends up being brought into Saul's court at, to sing and to play when Saul is being troubled by an evil spirit as a result of his continual disobedience. As David gets a little older, he's put in charge of part of the army. God blesses his, his warfare and he wins and he wins and he wins. The result to Saul is that he gets jealous and he becomes very afraid that David is somehow going to take his job. So he begins to try to kill David several times while David was playing in in uh, Saul's court to soothe Saul on at least two different or three different occasions. Saul grabbed a spear and tried to pin him to the wall with it. Missed him every time, but David was on the run. David was on the run from Saul for somewhere between seven to eight years. In the middle of that, he is now able to look back and say, but I've never seen God be unfaithful to people who are generous, people with generous hearts. God's response to them is is that. David experienced an inexplicable, unexplainable trouble 
that you could not calculate out. At one point, David, in order to keep his word to another king, took his soldiers and went to battle with this other king to keep his integrity intact. When the battle was over and they came home, they found out that while they were gone fighting for this king, another group of Philistines came in, killed their children, and stole their wives. And David's own men turned on him, and they were so angry at him that somehow they thought this was his fault, that they were ready to stone him. Yet in the midst of inexplicable dilemmas, David's response is, I was young, now I'm old. This one thing I know, God does not forsake his people. The when, where, and how will be different for all of us. But God does not forsake his people. And the response of God's people to God's faithfulness should be that we grow a generous heart. Now, we can be generous. We can be generous because we have ample illustration in the Scripture and in our own lives that God is faithful to respond. Paul says to the Philippians, thank you for the gift that you sent. It's been quite a while since any of the churches sent an offering to help us. But I want to tell you that in response to your generosity, and now this is where the context that you've heard this, this verse before, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now Paul said that as a direct result of these people demonstrating their generosity by sending money to help take care of him, in this case, while he was in prison with no way to take care of himself. Now, let's talk for a minute about generosity. The first thing that we need to get a hold of about generosity, I think, is that generosity is relative. Generosity, God views generosity not based on the amount of money you give, but the amount of money you start out with. Jesus said it like this. In Luke, he says that he is looking at the offering bucket or, 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 or basket or box at one of the gates of the temple. And it says, Luke writes, he says, and Jesus watched many wealthy people come and give their offering. And then a widow who had two coins, two pennies, came and gave all that she had. And then Jesus said, this widow has given more than all the others. Well, now, wait a minute. All the others in, in our economy gave hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars. This woman gave two pennies. What kind of arithmetic is, I mean, I did bad in math in high school, but I'm not that bad. I mean, I, you know, I understand two pennies. Is the, but you see, the point is she had way less to start with and she had way less after she gave. Those other people gave out of their extra so they were taking no risk. She, on the other hand, was taking the ultimate risk by giving away everything that she had, trusting that somehow God would provide for her. So generosity is relative. To the Corinthians, Paul says, it's noble to want to give. But don't agonize out of, trying, uh, out of thinking, oh, if I only had more, then I would give more. Paul said, you give out of whatever measure God has given to you. And that 
measurement is relative. For some people, a $100 offering is, is a whole lot. And they're going to have to defer some gratification for themselves or their children if they're going to give $100. For a lot of people, giving $100 is no big deal. But the reality is that God looks at all of this understanding that generosity is relative. And for us to be liberal is not comparing what you give uh, with somebody else's giving, but comparing what we have, what we make, and how much we have left over. Then we begin to understand the generosity in our own hearts. Second thing about generosity is don't wait until you have extra to give. Give now. Don't wait until you have enough. You know, there's a proverb that says, the appetite of man never says enough. There's never enough. And you know why there's never enough? Because next year they will come out with a bigger television. Right? They will come out with a new iPhone. Enough is never enough. Now, I have an iPhone. Thank you very much. I appreciate the, 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 the technology. But the bottom line is that if we want to be like God, then generosity is something that we must give our life to. Developing a generous heart. The, uh, the third thing, and I don't think we have a slide on this. Maybe we do. I don't know about the first fruits if we do put it up. If not, I, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, there we go. The shadow in the Old Testament, was called the first fruits offering. Now, this was not tithe. Tithe was a 10% at the end of the harvest season. After you harvest everything, sold it, did your business, paid your bills, all that, then you gave a tithe. But first fruits was a unique offering in old Israel because there are different crops that ripen at different times. And the offering of the first fruits was that they would go out when the first set of crops ripened, they would take an offering out of that and give it to the work of God. Typically, they would give it to the Levite who ministered in the area in which they lived. And then a portion of it would go to either the tabernacle or the temple for its upkeep. But the thing about the offering of first fruits is that it really requires trust. Because if you give away your first fruits, and then the next three months, it doesn't rain, you've given away what you are now going to need. Right? So God invites His people into growing trust. Growing trust. Say, well, if I give that away, what if the car breaks down? Listen, no matter if you give away or you don't, stuff breaks down. And there'll never be enough, mainly because the more we make, the more stuff we buy, the more stuff we buy, the more stuff breaks down. And then we need more to fix the stuff that breaks down. And enough is never enough. But generosity is all about the love of God building a trust in our heart. Generosity is all about love and trust. Our love and trust for God enables us to give away 
without having fear about our future. Now listen to this. Go to uh, We Can Have Confidence in Times of Trouble, please. The next thing I want us to think about in the area of generosity is that when we give, we always know that we're giving away something that we may need later on down the road. So we have two choices. We can either keep everything we get so that we can help ourselves when we're in trouble, or we can be like God and be generous and give liberally, trusting that when trouble arises that I cannot take care of, that God will step in and do what only God can do. Generosity lets us go to bed at night and go to sleep instead of laying there and worrying about what if, what if. Mark Twain uh, was quoted as saying, I've known many troubles over the years of my life, though most of them never ended up happening. You understand that? Huh? I've worried about way more what ifs than what actually came to pass. But the bottom line is not what if something breaks. The bottom line is what if I don't grow my trust in the Father? I want to trust God. I want to grow in my ability to trust God. But that requires generous hearts. Now the good news is Jesus has the most generous heart in all of creation. And he's living in you. So it is all about the generous heart of God that's in us already. And us learning to cooperate with that. And one of the results is that that generosity builds confidence and peace. In the time of storm, we have peace and rest. Why? Because we're trusting in the generosity of God. And another reason is because we have seed in the ground. Lynn and I were actually talking about this yesterday. We were talking about a financial challenge that's coming up. And almost simultaneously, we both looked at each other and said, Well, you know what? We can ask God to help us with full confidence because... Because we got a lot of seed in the ground. We give. We give generously. And so we're confident that God will cause us to reap. See, the law of sowing and reaping is, uh, spans both covenants. From creation, there's been the law of sowing and reaping. And, and it's neither good nor bad. It's only good or bad depending on what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, the harvest is bad. If you sow to the spirit, the harvest is good. But like a farmer who knows, well, you know, the, 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 the moose got into that portion of my garden and ate everything. But this portion of my garden has got a bigger fence. It's going to grow. I got seed in the ground. There's confidence there. So we can pray for God to help us in our time of need because we've sown the seed of generously helping others. Now, here's the dilemma that leaders have. That dilemma is... The Bible says again and again in in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that leaders should be evaluated based on the fruit of their life. We should follow, Hebrews says, leaders who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Now that means that we ought to be able to see and know 
our spiritual leaders and our spiritual family well enough to be able to see and know their example. Now, here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma for people like our lead pastor, Josh Tanner. Josh is a generous man. But the only reason I know that is because I've gotten close enough to him and asked him enough questions about what he does with his money. I know he's a generous man. The problem is you don't know that because Josh wouldn't get up here and say, hey, uh, last night for the GM thing, I paid for a table because I wanted to sew into the GM. Josh wouldn't get up here and say, you know, we support Mark and Linda's overseas ministry in providing materials for leaders and helping to plant churches. He wouldn't get up here and say that. But I know he does that. But the problem is, He's our lead pastor. There's no way for you to be able to follow his example, like the scripture says we are to do, unless you know. Well, think of this position that puts Josh and Joni in. For them to give you an example of what they what what should be done with money, they have to get up here and tell you where they give and how much. That's embarrassing. That's not the kind of people that they are. They don't blow the horn when they're ready to put their credit card number in the iPad machine over there. But the dilemma is if we don't talk about money, then there is no way. When you're mentoring and discipling someone, it's really good to know that in chapter 11 of the Foundations book that we were able to put together and use every day here for our spiritual family, in chapter 11, it talks about how to relate to the family of God by our giving. How to develop a generous heart. It's right in there. Because a new believer needs to learn. And that, by the way, when you're mentoring or discipling someone, that is a time where you have to be transparent with them because they're not going to know what the example is. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you for us what the example is. Linda and I start out at 10%. That's where we start. Now, we do not do that because we're afraid of a curse. Jesus already took the curse. I'm not afraid of that. We do that because the shadow of the Old Testament in tithing is a good place to start. It's not a law. If you only give 9.5%, you're not going to be cursed by God. You may not have as much seed in the ground for a harvest later on, but that won't be because God is mad. But it will be. Because I either am or I am not generous. Generosity requires that I trust God in this area. So when I trust God, we begin with that 10%. Then we begin talking about other ways we want to give. We give regularly every week, every week or every two weeks. I don't know how it works out now. But, but we give certain things we give regularly every time. But that's just the beginning for us. Then beyond that, we support missionaries. We support the publishing of books to get it in the hands of people who couldn't afford it. We give to GM. I don't know if you saw the email that went out. I think we've got one of the absolute greatest youth ministries in the world. And I've seen thousands of them. And most of them, I don't go and teach to them because they don't pay any attention. The youth would rather be out playing. Your youth group brings their Bibles and they take notes. I dare say that's more than some of us said oh not today that was the first group that some of them didn't take notes today this this 
meeting, we have all the note takers here. Now, listen to this. This is Psalm 112. We got the slide there. Listen to this. All goes well for those who are generous, who lend freely and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil circumstances. Such people. What kind of people? Generous people. Generous people will not be overcome by evil circumstances. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. Well, I love this. They do not fear bad news. Oh, how many know the feeling of, oh, Lord, when is the next shoe going to drop? Huh? I mean, come on. Come on. But you see, generosity grows a trust in our hearts where we don't expect bad news. When it comes, our response is, God's up to something. We're in a place where only God can fix it. That's a good place to be in, for, for God to be the one who can fix this for us. The next thing, next slide, please. We must never give away. We must invest. We don't give away. We sow. When you give unto the Lord through whatever several different vehicles you do that, then you are not giving away. You are giving to God. And lastly, David ends up in the very first verse that we read in Psalm 37 by saying, generous people's children will be blessed. Let me tell you why I believe that is true. That is true when we involve our children in our giving. From the earliest days with our kids, we started with Christmas. And at Christmas time, we sat down, we looked at our budget, we sat down with the kids when they were real small, we said, okay, this is how much money mom and I feel comfortable spending in total on Christmas gifts. Now, we're going to take 25%, that's just the number we came up with for ourselves, we're going to take one-fourth of this money. We're going to pick a couple of families that we know are having really, really hard times. And their children are probably not going to have much of anything for Christmas. You're going to go with us to the store. You know those children. You're going to pick out toys and clothing and things that will bless them. And then as part of our Christmas celebration, we would take our kids to their house and we would give those to them so they could have a good Christmas. So that our children would learn from the earliest ages that generosity must be a way of life. And for those who trust God, it will be. As our kids grow, grew a little older and got a few bucks for different things that they did around the house, that's when we started talking about weekly giving, regular giving, regular giving, whether it's 10% or 20% or wherever you're at in your walk. By the way, grace will always empower you to give more than law ever demanded. Law demands the minimum. Grace leads us to be generous. And we want our children to be involved in that. When you give to a missionary, involve your children. One of the things we used to love to do when our kids were smaller, especially, was if there was a special offering being taken up or whatever, we'd write out the check, but we'd give it to our little kids and have them go up and put it in the place. Because I want them to know we don't lavish everything we get on ourselves. We use what we need. We also have some enjoyment and fun, but we make sure 
that we have some that's going to go to generous giving. Give me that last slide, please, about the quote. Generosity. Becoming a generous giver requires us to deliberately take risks. But with that risk comes great adventure. Now, this quote is not Mark Twain. Does anybody know where this quote comes from? Now, you were in the first service. Oh, oh boy. These missionaries are sneaky, I'm telling you what. Anybody that wasn't in the first service, you know where this quote comes from? See, I knew my heart was going to be broken this morning. This is the second time. Don't you feel bad for me? That's a quote from Mark Drake. Page 116 in your foundations book. That chapter is all about learning to give. Learning to take the risk. Learning that it becomes fun to sow seed for the good of others and then watch to see what God is going to do. And because He's faithful, it becomes a great adventure. When I'm willing to take the risk and then grow, you know, look, if I give, if I give $10 every week, then $10 very soon doesn't become a risk. But I bump it up to 12. Years ago when we first started doing overseas missions and uh, gathering partners that believed in the message and the method that we were using, we had a, an elderly retired lady down in Florida who was just really turned inside out by our teaching about grace. And as a result, She signed up to be a monthly partner, $5 a month. That's all she had. Just barely making it. Over the next nine years, she increased it every year by $1. That $1 increase brought us to tears. Every time we saw her do that. Because we knew that her husband died with no insurance, no retirement, and she is just barely making it by. But she wants to be generous so others can hear the message of transforming grace. A generous heart. It requires risk. Oh, but it opens up a great reward. Father, we are so deeply grateful that you are incredibly generous to people like us when we were your enemies you generously gave the very best you gave your son teach us to walk in his steps let him live his generosity in and through us in jesus name amen join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org